Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Ashok Kotwal. I'm the editor-in-chief of Ideas for India. And what we are doing today is a video cast on the status of education in the year 2020. As you know, it was a very difficult year due to the virus and lockdowns. And I'll be conversing with my two guests, Rukmini Banerjee, who's the CEO of Pratham Foundation, and Vilima Vadwa, who's the director of ASA Center. ASA stands for Annual Status of Education Report, which they've been putting out uh, almost every year uh, over the last 15 years. Now, frankly, I don't know anyone who has contributed more to the improvement of education in India than the Pratham and Asar teams. Now, last year was a very bad year. Um, COVID-19 created many challenges, and not just for the healthcare systems. The virus had an impact on crucial sectors like education. It created some impossible dilemmas. On one hand, closing down schools for a whole year um, would impose very heavy costs on a whole generation of students. On the other, keeping the schools open was hazardous to their health. Now, many developed countries, quite hesitantly at first, adopted online teaching during the lockdown. India tried it too, but it wasn't that easy given our very weak access to laptops, even smartphones. So what did we learn from our experience of 2020? How did families, especially in rural areas, cope against all odds to keep the children learning? So to answer these questions, I think we have just the right duo who have been researching these questions for the entire year. The format will be Q&As with me playing the host. And I'll ask general questions oriented toward learning about the research and its findings. And the lessons, if any, for the future. So my first question is for Vilima. So Vilima, for the last 15 years, Asar has been carrying out surveys on learning outcomes across the country. You've gone into every nook and corner of the country. Even in normal years, given this large and diverse country with uh, so many different languages, it must be a Herculean task to carry out this service. 2020 must have been especially difficult with uh, restrictive mobility due to lockdowns. So many of us are therefore very curious about the motivation, methodology, and other aspects of your research in 2020. So Vilima, how did you do it? <laughs> First of all, Ashok, thank you so much for inviting us here today. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to talk to you. Um, so, as you know, we, you know, we've been doing ASAR since 2005, and we did it every year for the first 10 years, 2005 to 14. And we took a break in 15, and we started a new series, if you will, in 2016, where we do the big ASAR, which is which goes to every district, every uh, all 600 districts in the country, every other year. 
so 16 18 20 and so on and in the off years we've been focusing on specific age groups um so 2020 was our year of doing the big asser where we go and test uh, you know close to 550000 children across all rural districts of the country except that the country as well as the world shut down in march quite early on that we were not going to be able to go to the field this year because remember asser is done by volunteers um close to about 500 organizations and about 25000 volunteers uh, you know participate in asser uh, and and so that was clearly not going to be possible um, this year but it was also very clear that we needed to do something and you know i i say that you know for a few reasons one i mean this was a completely unprecedented event uh, it wasn't just pan india it was global so while you have some research done on school closures during you know natural disasters and all we we never seen anything of this magnitude and so clearly it was going to affect education and it was important to do an asset this year um second it was also clear that the impact of the pandemic would be different i mean things were very fluid when we first started talking about this and they were evolving as they still are schools still haven't opened and so it was also clear that it would have a, a different impact at different times and finally as we had also seen uh, across in other sectors that it was likely to uh, the burden of the pandemic was likely to be borne by already vulnerable portions of the society and so it would also have an impact on equity so it was it was really important so that's you know i'm you know the motivation it was clear that we had to do something but having said that and not being able to go into the field it was what what were we going to do and here we got a little lucky because you know clearly uh, the phone survey was one way of doing it uh, probably the only way of doing it but the problem with phone surveys as you know is it's difficult to find representative frames and here that's what i mean when i say we got lucky because as part of asser we record the phone numbers of the households that we visit as well as the phone numbers of the teachers and headmasters of the schools that we visit so while uh, this was the last big asser was in 2018 we did have a frame which was nationally representative it was a little bit old and we did a bunch of experiments and so we kind of pivoted to do a an asser what we are actually what we called wave 1 and which was focused on because it was done in september and it was focused on the period during which schools uh, were still closed they still are and it focused on availability of materials and what was happening in households during that time and what uh, children and parents did with the material what activities they engaged in now this uh, phone surveys uh, does it really increase the margins of error and so on because you know because previously you were actually going into the households and schools and so you know the first thing about the phone survey was that like i said the frame was 2 years old 
again, we could use it, one, because almost 90% of households, even in 2018, uh, had a cell phone. So it was pretty much a little bit over 90%. So, you know, we were not dropping a large part of our sample. That was number one. We did a bunch of experiments in terms of whether, you know, but it was two years old and, you know, they had phone numbers changed, had people moved. So we did uh, uh, some experiments to see whether we could use it and those kind of uh, worked out. The problem with phone surveys is that non-response tends to be much larger. The sample size of this ASER is, is much smaller because one was that we couldn't reach everybody that we wanted to, uh, whose numbers we had. Because typically in rural India, non-response is very low. We hardly have any non-response. Um, this time we did have non-response was larger. So to that extent, you could say that not so much the margins of error, I would say, because the sample sizes are still very large. But we, you know, we would could not go into the kind of granularity that we do in terms of looking at grade-wise, grade and, and gender and so on, because of the sample size. But also, uh, what percentage of population have phones? Like, uh, like I said, in 2018, 90% have cell phones. 90%. 90%. And by now, it's probably uh, uh, 100%. So th th that was the only reason we could actually use that frame that we had. Because otherwise, you know, if you had a large population not having cell phones, then we would have been, then it would not have been representative. So Rukmini, you want to add something to it? Uh, just to say that uh, uh, in typical COVID style, uh, where everybody is doing everything a new way, it is only appropriate that Asar also tried to learn things a new way. And I think, uh, you know, um, I mean, uh, this is a very grandmotherly kind of thing to say that looking back, it's a good thing to be forced to change and uh, try new things. But as you know, we for 15 years have really looked at outcomes and at current levels of uh, basic reading and math. Uh, we've always wondered about what happens behind it, uh, what happens in the home, but never had the time uh, to really investigate. And so this year, I think that one is you could not really do learning assessments on the phone. And maybe we'll talk about that uh, you know, a little bit more, uh, but that we were forced to find out what is going on at home. And I think that was a very good thing because it's not like something is going on at home in some new way this year. It probably always goes on, uh, but we just, uh, you know, haven't been looking at it. You know, in Asar, as with uh, many other things, some of the things that we've learned in this time are not going to evaporate and they're going to influence uh, what we do uh, in the future. Just on the smartphone, on the phone question, uh, William already uh, explained that it's only 10% that don't have phones. Of course, there's a big variation in who has smartphones. So uh, between the smartphones and the whatever, the old phones, 90% uh, have them. Uh, but across sort of in our 2020 sample, I think about 60% altogether have uh, smartphones. And uh, that also varies a lot uh, by state. So what were the key takeaways or, you know, your main research findings from ASER 2020? How did... Uh, uh, these families uh, cope with this unexpected calamity? Um, and there's a lot to say, obviously, because, uh, you know, um, you know, this whole survey uh, tried to look at different parts of this. Um, 
the interesting thing, I think, uh, and this is something that we realize the longer Asar runs, obviously growing ability to look back uh, and uh, being able to look back and look at whether today is very different from yesterday and so on. Now, on many things, of course, in the 2020 Asar, in terms of, as I said, about what households are doing, we can't look back because we hadn't collected that information before. But we certainly can see, uh, you know, what was different between uh, Asar 18 and 20, uh, what, what was different about the households. And there, I think one very interesting thing is that while other ca household characteristics that we do observe, like do you have a... Uh, you know, motorized vehicle, two-wheeler or four-wheeler, you have other household big items, not much of a change in that in the two years. You know, hard to say about when when change happens, but a big change in smartphones. So I think almost uh, households, uh, the number of households who had smartphones almost doubled in uh, many cases. Yeah. Now, again, we don't know if this doubling happened over 2018, 19, 20, or whether it happened in the last five months, it's a little bit hard to know that. So uh, household characteristics, I think otherwise households pretty similar, <coughs> big change in, uh, in, in smartphones. Um, the other big thing I would say that this Asar has been able to highlight uh, is that the entire world is only talking about online learning and about apps and about digital content. And I think we, I mean, in Pratham, at least, uh, the experiences we have on the ground is, uh, ha has been very much to, you know, uh, show that uh, old-fashioned ways have uh, also come back, you know. But in the survey itself, I think two very untalked uh, about trends. One is the fact that uh, since we did the survey in September, uh, obviously governments had time to, you know, consolidate and think about what they were going to do. And one very important thing that all state governments in India did was to distribute textbooks. And this was done in many different ways in different states. But by September, you see that a vast majority of children have textbooks of their current grade. But interestingly, government school children are almost 10, 12 percentage more likely to have textbooks than private schools because private school children usually have to buy textbooks and that may not have been easy. Uh, the government machinery was involved in the distribution. And this, I think, is a very important uh, fact because <clears throat> we know from our previous assers that children often don't have much learning material at home. They don't have much print material at home. Often the only printed things that you have other than whatever religious book, which, uh, you know, no matter how religious you are, I think people don't really read those books very much. Uh, you, you know, you worship them perhaps. Uh, so at least certainly they are not useful to children's reading levels. Textbooks are often the only print material for children that you have. And therefore, at least that being available in the household, I think was very important. The second thing also is that the textbook is a very familiar beast. Uh, whether you like it or hate it, everybody, even your illiterate grandmother knows how it works. It begins in the beginning, goes to the end. It's got things called chapters and lessons. So even if the people are not very educated at home. I think knowing how to deal with a textbook is probably much easier than knowing how to deal with an app <laughs> or with, you know, how do you get online and do Zoom and so on. So uh, I'm sure Willem, I will talk more about it, but we, I think that this fact that one traditional thing is textbooks and print material, which the government has been able to deliver. Another traditional way for uh, people in crisis is to talk to each other. <laughs> 
okay it's not all interfaced by you know digital content and i think we see quite a bit of that uh, you know parents talking to teachers teachers talking to parents sometimes visiting each other and you see a slightly greater propensity of that in government schools where the exposure to anything digital or online was much lower and so i think that again september is an important time because you could not have perhaps visited each other in the village in april or may but by september there appears to be uh, some amount of trying to you know i won't say compensate to say that there are these face to face encounters which are also supporting the whatever is happening at uh, home uh, many more things but maybe let me leave it to vilma to take the story forward it was true that compared to 2018 in fact the more kids were going to government schools as opposed to private schools right or the percentage of people kids going to government school increased slightly i think it's going to be i think you have to wait till schools really open to see how all that shift happens what we do see is children not enrolled you know there's a big fear that uh, children will drop out of school they'll be put to work many many the fears are uh, you know absolutely uh, real but what we see in the data is a much larger percentage of the youngest children not yet enrolled and that could be that you're waiting for schools to open before you enroll your kids in first standard particularly it could be that children who would would have otherwise been enrolled in private schools you don't want to waste the money when schools are not open and you're waiting or maybe your neighborhood private schools are not functioning or something so you do see a kind of a backlog waiting to get enrolled in the youngest age group but other than that there's not i i, I think any I, i think we are operating on status quo because what does enrollment mean enrollment means your name is on some school register so if there has not been a move to re-enroll then we'll wait and see who shows up and how that whole process works once schools are actually open i do know however that in some states like punjab and himachal who have a large pre primary in the school in the primary school they usually do enrollment drives at this time and so they have continued to make sure that that backlog waiting to get enrolled you know you don't uh, you don't uh, lose it so states like that have made a big effort to do campaigns to say go get your child's name onto the school you know we will be in business sooner or later vilima no so i i'll just like rukmi said i'll just pick up where she left off uh, so you know uh, you saw actually a lot of uh, different actors kind of come together so the first thing was that in terms of textbook like rukmi said almost 80% children had access to receive the textbook for the current year more in government schools uh, states also sent out a whole lot of other material and and uh, what we found there was that the access was a little bit less so about 35% children uh, had accessed or said that they had received some kind of learning material other than textbooks uh, from their school but having said that ashok we also asked uh, kids if they did some learning activity in the last week and 70% kids said that they had done some kind of learning activity 
The other big thing which I kind of alluded to was that, you know, when things are bad, other other actors kind of step up to the task. And what we found was that actually a majority of the kids said that there was somebody at home helping them um, with their schoolwork. And, you know, for younger kids, it would be typically mothers. Uh, for older kids, it would be fathers and often older siblings. So that's what I meant by saying that various actors kind of uh, stepped up. Uh, when we started, I also mentioned called uh, about 9,000 schools. We had uh, phone numbers for headmasters or the teachers of the schools that we had visited in 2018. And amazingly, 70% of these teachers said that they had reached out to somebody in the village, to parents, to older kids, to get in touch with kids. So, you know, what you saw was that, you know, there was this kind of narrowing, this closing, that other other actors were kind of stepping up, this closing of the distance between the school, the home, the community. Uh, and, and so th this was actually something very amazing because, uh, you know, it wasn't just that, oh, they didn't get uh, uh, material. Uh, even though th that number may have been lower, kids had textbooks, they did activities, 70% did at least one activity uh, in, the, in the previous week. Now, you know, when you said 80%, uh, there was a huge variation across states, right? I mean, some like Punjab, Kerala, they had very high, but the Bihar and so very, very low. So 80% is a, for the all India number. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so this, despite this kind of poorly functioning states, uh, the number was 80%. Yeah, despite that. Despite that, uh, the number was, you see, the, the, I think, you know, the variation is far more in other kinds of material. As far as textbooks, there are some states, uh, there is a spectrum there, but not as much. More states were successful, especially government schools, in terms of textbooks, where you see a huge variation is in terms of the other learning material uh, that was shared. And most of these... Um the online help, uh, it went through WhatsApp. Or... That's right. So, you know, we we looked at this that, you know, they, there was a variety of mediums that uh, these learning resources uh, were being shared. So there was, there was WhatsApp, there were other kinds of uh, uh, messaging platforms, there was uh, TV, radio, and then there were these online resources where they got links to, you know, uh, resources on the web, or they were actually online uh, uh, classes. And what we, what we saw there was that most of the time, it was one medium right uh, where the material was being shared and uh, and that one medium 70% of the time that medium was uh, whatsapp and so you know that that kind of brings in in my mind a little bit of the equity angle if you will right because you have a situation where you started with a learning deficit uh, then you have you even there, typically, if you look at uh, children, you know, Asa does not have a lot of information on household assets, but we can 
look at parental education as a proxy for say affluence right and if you look at children uh, so, uh, you know with where both parents um, had uh, primary or less education you see the the clear differences and 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 the digital divides so they tend to uh, more kids of uh, parents who have low uh, education tend to be in government schools they have less access to smartphones um, and and uh, they get less help at home so you know if your main medium of sharing learning resources and i'm not talking about textbooks because textbooks like we said pretty much all kids had and there was not much of a difference in textbooks even by parental education it's these other resources then you see this you you know you're likely to see the gap widen hmm. i mean india always had this the huge disparities in every way right the income disparities reflected in educational disparity and this was an added factor yeah because now you've added you've added another you know mechanism by which that uh, that uh, uh, disparity is going to rise because if you're going to be dependent on smartphones then straight away if 60% households have smartphones then you you're you're leaving out uh, the rest of the kids i think even on the smartphone issue there may be a smartphone in the family but how much access does the child have to that smartphone because a smartphone may be with a parent or with some other adult who's working all day comes back only late at night um you know uh, i've heard this is not from the survey but from other experiences that three kids at home and uh, the teachers are sending them whatsapp by the time the parent comes home there is so many different messages who are they for what are you supposed to do uh, you know and so on so uh, i think these are all mechanisms that are kind of coping mechanisms i wonder if schools had had some time to prepare for how they are going to deal with closure whether they would have done you know other things <laughs> yeah and also i mean it seems like if most people have phones but not smartphones then the messages uh, designed for uh, the majority would uh, then find the smartphones are pretty much useless because it's sort of the kind of messages that anybody should be able to receive and process right so yeah 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 also again i mean this is departing a little bit away from the survey and going into the pratham experience you know we learned some things very quickly because we realized that uh, by depending only on smartphones and sending whatever video clips or that kind of material you're going to lose out on the kids who need you the most Right. and so you have to develop a skill of how in an sms do you send a learning activity that can actually be engaging and you know magically 164 characters you can do quite a bit uh you know and uh, you but you have to learn how to do it and the learning comes not just from your own imagination but the real learning comes from calling children's families talking to the children and the parents and they give you good and sometimes harsh feedback on what you are trying to send them so this two way communication is really important if you want to keep iterating to you know whatever is the most effective given the constraint okay so that brings us to our third question so at some point in future we all hope that uh, this dark shadow cast by the virus will be lifted 
and a semblance of normalcy will return. So based on ASER 2020, what are your suggestions or recommendations for what should be done in India when schools reopen, especially the uh, primary schools, elementary schools? You can take a shot at it, Yukmini. Okay. So I would say that, uh, you know, obviously this is a very hot topic. It's being discussed from everywhere, from the parliament all the way down to the panchayat about what to do. Um, I think there is two or three uh, big pieces. One is that I think what does school reopening mean needs to be also broken down. Because even in many states right now in the government schools, teachers are there. They are coming every day or you know often, but the children are not. So there is a, you know, in our minds, there is school reopening of the summer holidays when miraculously there's a certain day and everybody comes back. That's not going to happen. So I think first thing is you're going to have to do quite a bit on re-establishing attendance. And that will be need to be contextual everywhere. And there, I think that the more that the teachers, the more that the adults trust each other, the more you're going to be able to, uh, you know, allow the children to come back. But that aside, I think very quickly, the argument or the, the hypothesis that we are putting out is that if you look, we have many years of data uh, going back from Asar that you can look at. And so, you know, while we are talking about these gloom and doom and learning loss and, you know, crisis and all of that, we should take a look at what has been a usual, a typical year on year gain, let's say, because, you know, kids grow. And, you know, while learning levels are low, they're not completely flat. They have, you know, they are, they are shallow, but they do grow. So state by state, you can follow cohorts and you can look at, you know, what in a usual year from third to fourth or fourth to fifth you have. Uh, assume you're going to lose that. So how much is that? Uh, and so let's say uh, it varies a lot for different cohorts and different grades and different years. But let's say we see a 5 to 15 or 16 percentage point improvement possible year on year in the uh, primary and the upper primary grades. Now, what do we compare this with? You know, so what we've been doing is that this is uh, an ASAR estimate of a trend over time. And we are comparing this with when a state has actually done a very focused intervention to build foundational reading and math. And again, if I use the UP example, uh, you know, some years ago, uh, Pratham worked with the UP government using the, you know, well-known teaching at the right level approach to help to catch up. And you could see that in a period of about three months, uh, maybe 70, 80 instructional days, you were able to get uh, pretty much like a 15 to 18 percentage point improvement in UP. We've seen some higher improvements in other states. So what does that, what is the possibility that this opens up? The possibility to me that this opens up is when schools open and attendance stabilizes, do a very focused push at rebuilding foundational skills. And if you really do that, it is possible, I think, that you may, what is being called, build back better. <laughs> because... If in, you know, if in 60 days you had a 15 or 18 percentage point improvement, but now you put the might of the state behind it and spend more focused time, I think in 100 days you could potentially do as much and much more than what you do in a given year. So 
I would like to think it that if you go after rebuilding foundational skills rather than going back to curriculum, you may be able to catch up this lost year and some. Uh, and I really would, you know, appeal to uh, governments, not just in India but elsewhere, to give this idea a shot, because this means that, uh, you know, we potentially can come back a lot better. Vilima, completely agree with the uh, implications of the findings of this uh, ASA 2020 wave one. You know, it's clear there's there's a lot of talk about oh, are we going to all, all go to now to this ed tech and you know all this online. Stuff staff and so on and you know my thing would be we have to be extremely we have to be very very careful um so while we cannot be business as usual we also cannot say oh you know we've done this experiment and now you know so we are just going to change the landscape uh, of education by using all these uh, sophisticated devices because remember you already had a learning deficit uh typically the the learning deficit is more for children who come from less advantage uh, advantaged backgrounds now you've had the pandemic and you've had school closures for a full year right almost a year we know and we see this in the data that the burden is greater again on uh, children who come from who have parents who have less education and you know what is all of that that uh, the correlations that go with that you know you you have a situation where your uh, the from the equity point of view the the learning gaps are going to be greater at even at the lower end of the distribution then you have a situation that uh, you know th- that states that had low learning uh, levels to start with were also you know were not the top performers were uh, were the poorer performers even in terms in, in terms of learning levels so you have a situation where you're going to be uh, that you know the divide the disparity is going to increase uh, among children and among states right and so this this is this is a big job and you have to bring other actors on board and we've seen through this pandemic how you know parents the community everybody kind of came together so and in fact the new education policy talks about bringing the community bringing the parents on board so reach out right i mean you know if if you see it you know in in a way you can see it as an opportunity and blame all of this on covid and and kind of start afresh so see it as an opportunity that you have that when kids come back like rupuni was saying that we have uh, uh, an opportunity to deal with these deficits blame it on covid and and take action now yeah i mean i i agree with everything you and rupuni are saying but just let me play devil's advocate on on behalf of the new technologies right like um i mean it's true the disparities would increase and so on and then the <clears throat> your fundamental idea that you know teach according to at, at the level of the student rather than just follow a curriculum right and build the foundational skills etc but when the online technology to some extent facilitate this that you know that uh, no matter what grade a, a child is in you can uh, take the instruction at the level of the child's background rather than 
just depending on this right it gives you some flex to have access to that the child has to have access to but the access will gradually increase right um, gradually increase and we are not saying that you know we, we are not saying that you should not use technology all that all that we are saying is use it but see your ground reality and don't leave people behind you know that's you know, why has our you know this this that number that asar has had that 50% children in grade 5 are unable to read as grade 2 level text that number has not changed because you know and this is this is from 2005 right even in 2018 25% children in grade 8 were unable to read and why is that happening because if you don't address it right if a child has not learned to do subtraction and has reached grade 7 or 8 nobody is teaching subtraction in grade 7 or 8 nobody is teaching reading in in uh, in grade 6 right so the thing is that the, you have to deal with the deficits when they are happening because if you leave them then they are not going to and follow business as usual and you have a curriculum right then you're going to leave behind a huge number of children ashok ashok i'd like to add uh, two points here uh, that one is that if you have your basic ability to read and understand and navigate obviously you can explore a much bigger world so if you don't have that foundational skill then you are already uh, disadvantage even in this digital world the second is i think that a lot more needs to be thought about how do you uh, you know a, a lot of the digital stuff that you see today is for individual use as opposed to for group use so if one way in which we are going to get over this connectivity and connect uh, divide by saying make available shared devices imagine that every school or every panchayat in india has 5 or 10 uh, tabs which are to be shared by the people in the community in different ways you will need group sharing now in the group sharing supposing i'm coming up with uh, uh, some kind of a gamification of some math concept can i create content which actually requires five kids to play together you know ludo is no fun on your own you need for other people to play together you know there i think that if we are heading in the direction of let's say hybrid learning in this way but where there is a group structure the group structure may bring its own benefits by just being able to help each other which in a very uneven uh, distribution of let's say at least reading abilities it would be good to have some of this but i think content has to be developed like this as well and the time when even in my house this continuous streaming i can't i mean i go into buffer every now and then and i'm sitting in a metropolis you know and with you know lots of advantages so online completely teaching like you are doing at your university i i think for young children that's going to take you know i, I mean i'm not even sure that that's right thing no, no, i get your point see the the <laughs> point i was stressing Uh, you know doesn't it, it fully accept that it's a necessary condition that you uh, the, the kids get the fundamental skills yeah. uh, and also that they should be taught at the level at which they they are at right and this is why i was actually su- uh, suggesting because as you say it's uh, the lack of access and the disparities uh, to make this technology available you have to have some kind of collective feature so that they share the thing 
and there comes a problem yeah. and that defeats the benefit of uh, reaching individuals at their own level so thank you so much uh, guys um, i'm sure there are a lot of people like me who are uh, not quite aware of exactly what went on and uh, how can we use it for the future what were the real research findings and and um, you made it possible and easy for the audience to follow so thank you thank you